You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. We broke all the rules. We didn't have the demo tape to play anybody, or an 8x10 even. We didn't know anybody, but we got signed on the spot. We cut an album before we'd ever appeared anywhere, before we ever had a band. Country music superstar Naomi Judd. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Naomi Judd was actually born Diana Judd. Soon after the end of World War II, her dad ran a gas station in Ashland, Kentucky. Now, by the time she was in her mid-30s, Naomi Judd was a single mom with two daughters struggling to keep a household together. And that's when she and her older daughter discovered that they had fun singing and harmonizing together, and they were pretty good at it. So good, in fact, that soon they met the right people, and in 1983, they formed The Judds. Now, over the next eight years, the Judds dominated country music. They had a string of number one hits. Love can build a bridge. Mama, he's crazy. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Why not me and the same? But in 1991, a diagnosis of hepatitis C forced Naomi Judd to break up the act. Now, in 1993, she wrote a memoir that was actually named after one of their hit songs, Love Can Build a Bridge, and that's when I met her. So here now, from 1993, Naomi Judd. Actually, uh, when our manager came to me and said, uh, right after my diagnosis, and I think he thought I wasn't going to make it, and he wanted me, he knew what a phenomenal life I'd had, and he wanted me to record it for uh, posterity. For Winona and Ashley and the future grandchildren he didn't think I'd ever see. I said, hey, man, hepatitis affects your liver, not your brain. I ain't going <laughs> to tell. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I've lost count in this book of how many times you've come that close to dying in one way or another. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've had, you've had uh, from car crashes to crazy people outside your house, house with guns uh, to, to sleazy guys with boats Fires off the and coast. floods and earthquakes. Yeah, and lions and tigers and bears, oh, my. Aliens. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I guess you've led a kind of a charmed life in that respect. I, I realize now that um, there are guardian angels. Actually, I found over 300 scriptures in the Bible about them, and they're real. I've had one on my shoulder, I think, from the day I was born. Uh, it is phenomenal. And there were a couple of revelations that came to me at the end of um, the book as I was writing the last sentence. One is that um, there's a common thread from, from the, the very beginning to the present day, and that's that hope is my constant companion. I see now how close I came to, to quitting or giving up and uh, when grim realities of various sorts were beating me down, that hope was always my constant companion. And I also see that, um, that there's a plan at work. But it's kind of like um, a tapestry. You know, if you can think about standing in back and you're, you're so right on it and you're busy stitch by stitch, you know, trying to do what you're supposed to do. And then upon the completion, you walk around and stand out front and look at it in its entirety, and voila! Does the tapestry of your life make more sense now that you put a little distance between it and yourself? 
Yes, but I'm one of these very analytical people. I always have believed that you have to sit still and be silent and listen to the the voice that your life has. And um, Winona and Ashley and I have always been very blessed in that the three of us have such a remarkable bond and really an exponential strength. So we encourage each other. We understand each other. And I think trust is proof of real love. This relationship didn't happen by accident. You have to work at it, don't you? Oh, yeah, man, from day one. You have to really... um, And I've, I've figured out that love has this transformational power. It got us through everything. Um... It is the answer. It sounds very simplistic. I don't mean it. Does. It's not simplistic, but uh, but love is the greatest healing force. But there's so many times uh, I'm reading this book, and they just keep punching you, knocking you down, mm-hmm. and you get back up again, and yep. they punch you harder, and yep. you get back up again, and then two or three of them punch you all at the same time, and you just keep getting back up and fighting them again. Well, don't you think that change is the true nature of this world? True. Uh, it... it frankly, is the only thing we can count on. Change is the true nature of the world. And once we start fully understanding that reality, um, I'm not saying we, we, we become comfortable with it, but once we acknowledge that that is, is the way that it is, then we can start adapting and we can do whatever we need to do. Do you remember the moment when you first realized that, I think you said it somewhere in the book, that music is the most powerful form of communication? I don't think there was any one great epiphany. It was just, um, uh, for instance, Winona, at age 12, was doing some serious acting out of her rebellion. It was as if the child needed me so much and loved me so much, she resented me. She was extremely rebellious. We, I'd had a divorce, and a lot of um, craziness was going down. But when she discovered music, it... I I began to see that this was something very therapeutic, very wonderful for this child. She had a short attention span, for instance. She would sit hungered for hours over this old funky guitar. And she and I, when we sang in harmony together, there was such a knowing, there was such a a bond and a kinship. Sometimes we couldn't even talk together at that stage, but we could sing together. That's kind of crazy sounding, but it's it's the way it was. Um, I also saw that the very first song we learned, a little old Appalachian thing called A Mother's Smile. The sweetest gift, a mother's smile. This was written back in 1936, and why and I learned it to sing to my mom for Mother's Day. We, of course, couldn't afford a present, so we learned the song and sang it for her as her gift on Mother's Day, and it made my mom cry, and... There wasn't a whole lot of demonstrativeness in my family, and that really moved me. I remember sitting under what we call the big fairy tree. We lived on a mountaintop in Morrill, Kentucky, and we didn't have a TV or a telephone, and we had actually begun singing together to entertain ourselves and um, maybe keep from killing each other. (laughs) But as we sat under the fairy tree that afternoon and sang the song to Mom, uh, here we were, the three generations of Judd women. Something quite magical happened, and I felt this, um, I felt a sense of timelessness, and I felt as if everything had sort of fallen away, all the estrangement between my mother and I. 
she was going through a very bitter divorce with my father, and this is a very painful, raw time for all of us. But yet, in that song, there was a knowing. There was a, it was as if we levitated. And I, I saw that, that music is able to express emotions that words can't even begin to define. It goes beyond just the words, the melody, the harmony, the, the mm-hmm. rhythm. The, it's, it's just the sum is more than the parts. Right, and there's a musical intelligence in melodies. And when you sing harmony, Winona and I figured out that there's a, like a third entity. I don't mean to sound too metaphysical, but it's as if there's a third entity that comes out of it when we sing harmony together. Um, and it's kind of like if you were there, then... You don't need to explain it, and if you weren't there, nothing can explain it. But music is the most powerful art form, even though it's the intangible one. And Winona says that music is the language of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed in church that they begin the service with music to prepare your hearts? And hopefully it's good music that they play in church as well. (laughs) Well, there's only two kinds of music. That's good music and bad music. (laughs) There's no in-between? I don't think so. Um... I listen to all types of music, and I try to discern. I try to pick out the good and the bad. For instance, this morning I was listening to a couple of tapes I'd gotten in the record store that were under the New Age category, Boo Hiss. Um, (laughs) I get real irritated with some of their philosophies. But there, and why they put it, you know, put labels on things and have to stereotype, and everybody wants to be spoon-fed today. When you made the transition from Diana to Naomi, mm. was that more than just a name change at that point? Absolutely. It had nothing to do with show business. This was way before all that. I had been born and raised in eastern Kentucky, small-town America. My daddy had a gas station, and I could walk to the center. It was the center of my universe, this house that my mom still lives in to this day. I could walk to daddy's gas station, to the church, to the schools I went to, and to... Um, the two little movie theaters. And I, I was very proud of my legacy. I was, I, my roots ran very deep. But it's as if when I went out to Hollywood and was slam dunked so bad out there and um, lost my innocence and my naivete, and then I, I returned to Moral, Kentucky to deprogram the children from the overstimulation of that strange environment, that phony uh, environment out there and the confusion of modern society. Then we went out to Northern California where I was into holistic healing and really on a very spiritual quest. I felt like a different person. I felt as if I needed a, a name change to sort of acknowledge the transformation, the metamorphosis I'd been through. You've been through so much up to that point. You almost I, I felt with you as though you needed a break at mm-hmm. that point, and you needed something to kind of remind yourself every time you wrote a check, every time you wrote your name on a, on a piece of paper, or any time you told someone your name, you introduced yourself, that you felt like you needed something just new and different. You're right. It was easy, too, because I just moved there. So when I would introduce myself to you, instead of saying, Hi, I'm Diana Ellen Judd, I said, Hello, I'm Naomi Ellen Judd. And I, I needed a fresh start. I really needed a break because I had done such what I felt was a quantum leap in my personal 
experience and my and my growth and my evolution of um, awareness, if you will. Uh, and I felt like Northern California was the perfect midwife to acknowledge that rebirth. But when I go to Ashland, Kentucky, I'm Diana. And there's 30,000 people that... <laughs> and I love it because there's that mirror of truth. There's that, hey, remember, don't ever forget where you come from. After this short break, how stage fright nearly ended the judge's career before it even began. Now back to my 1993 interview with Naomi Judd. Let me fast forward a couple of years now and go back to uh, go to. Uh, These your... are very interesting questions. <laughs> You're, it's very thought provoking. Winona and I were talking on the phone last night. Um, she's back home at the farm in Tennessee, and uh, she was asking me about the book tour. And I said, "Well, as a, always, I feel as if doing interviews is a very um, it's very revealing to me. For one thing, you characters reveal yourself to me." Just really, the, the sort of questions that you ask tell me a lot about yourself. What interests you? What you identify with? That tells me about you. I almost feel as if we're, instead of sitting here in a radio station, it's as if you're at my kitchen table back at the farm over a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm very serious. Except our water's not good enough for coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're in Tijuana. Um, also, I, Wynonna and I caught on a long time ago that people... Um, tell a lot about themselves by their reaction to Judd music. For what it's worth, my, my daughters, they their musical taste ranges from Megadeth and Aerosmith to, aye, aye, aye. to all the way up the spectrum to Reba, the Judds, Garth Brooks, you know, the, 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 and, and everything in between. They're so eclectic. The only thing they don't like is classical music for some reason. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, but I did... I, <laughs> I wanted to come back when you were talking about uh, your your first, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was your first professional concert appearance with the opening for the Statler Brothers. Mm-hmm. Again, one of my favorite groups. Uh, we, we were down in uh, Stanton last uh, 4th of July for the free concert, oh, yes. uh, which was a fantastic experience in and of itself. But you, the, the electricity of that moment must have been, how, how did the two of you keep from just turning into bowls of quivering jelly at that point? Well, we were. <laughs> we were, and... You have to understand that, um, I guess Winona was 19. I have to do some quick math here, but um, it was a great leveler because even though I was 18 years older than my daughter, I had no clue what was going on either. And all of a sudden, here we are, comrades in the trenches. We had never performed in public. And we went in and got a live audition at RCA Records, which at that time in 1983 was the biggest label in country music. We got signed on the spot. We're wearing these $20 dresses. We've got an old gut string funky guitar. We don't know from nothing. In fact, we take enormous pride in saying to folks, look, the human touch still works. You don't have to buy into um, the program. You can do everything backwards. We broke all the rules. We didn't have the demo tape. We didn't have the professionally produced um, tape to play anybody, or an 8 by 10 even. Your brother-in-law wasn't the record executive. Exactly. We didn't know anybody. Uh, We came in the back door. We sat down, and we said, hello, everybody. This is who we are, and this is what we do. And if you get it, fine. If you don't, we'll just keep looking until somebody gets it. But... We got signed on the spot. We go in the studio, um, and step number two of uh, doing everything backwards, we cut an album before we'd ever appeared anywhere, before we ever had a band together. We just hired studio musicians. 
So we've got a product. Uh, then RCA says, well, you know, we're going to send you out because the Statler brothers called. They'd heard our single on the radio here again. People are going, is this a joke? Are they really mother and daughter? Do they exist? Is this some, you know, harebrained PR scheme? They called up and asked us to come perform um, open for them in Omaha, Nebraska, and we didn't realize that they had sold out shows. 10,000 human beings <laughs> out there in the audience. Thank you very much. Um, the head of RCA is really very cute. Took Winona and I to the mall and bought us an outfit. It's like mom and dad taking us, you know, by back to school clothes. Because uh, we had nothing. I mean, when I tell you we had nothing, we had nothing to wear. We um, were just bonkers because here we took these studio musicians. I call them the emergency band. These guys don't play on the road, but we just had no recourse. We took our studio musicians in, flew in. Of course, we didn't have a bus or zip, and we're staying in the same hotel. Is the Stadler Brothers, and we're so excited because we're, we're, we've got a gig. It's the greatest scam on earth. Why don't kept saying, there's no school tomorrow, there's no school tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept saying, I don't have to do the bedpan boogie at the hospital tomorrow. So we get to this, uh, this coliseum, um, and we're standing behind a, a curtain. We didn't know. They forgot to tell us. We're just the chick singers that they start with the Star Spangled Banner, which kind of makes the hair on the back of my head stand up. Thank you very much. Uh, so all of a sudden, here's the Statler Brothers' rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Winona and I um, are, you know, you've heard of the fight or flight syndrome? Flight. <laughs> <laughs> she's looking at me with this, um, oh, my God, I want to go home, Mommy. And she's three years old all over again. And I feel so guilty as if I'd really screwed up. And I thought, oh, they're going to hate us. We stink. We don't know what we're doing. We're out of here. Just as we looked over to see the exit, and uh, like a deer caught in the headlights. The stage manager, um, he, he sees us, and then all of a sudden, Winona says, Mommy, take me home. And I, had, I reached up my microphone stand to move over closer to her. I wanted like to be shoulder to shoulder with her. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, the curtain was coming up, and they could see our legs. And we couldn't, but we would have run. If the curtain hadn't started coming up at that precise moment. The entire history of country music could have been entirely different if you had. <laughs> yes. Winona would be doing perms at the Cut and Curl in Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> I, I only have a moment or so left, but I want to ask, because everyone is so concerned about your health now, how do you feel? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I'm in full chemical remission. Um, someday we'll have a cure for liver disease. It's the fourth killer in America. Nobody knows that, but it is. <laughs> it's the number one viremia in the world. I have uh, non-A, non-B, non-C, chronic active hepatitis. It's still The virus is still in my body. We don't have anything to kill viruses yet. Unfortunately, that's what causes cancer and AIDS and liver disease is a virus, but we'll figure it out one day. We've got the Naomi Judd Research Fund, um, but I've claimed a healing. I I'm a co-creator with the Lord and, and staying in remission and until I get that phone call from the big enchilada doctor who says, hey, come on down, get your pill or get your shot. And But I've, I've discovered that life is short, fragile, and very important. Now, I, I read on the wire the other day that we will see you and Winona singing on the Bob Hope Christmas special. That's true. 
Outstanding. We're looking forward to that. You know what, what's so weird? I've been doing a national book tour for a couple of weeks now, and nobody's asking me the same question because <laughs> there's so much stuff in the book. <laughs> I, I, if, if we had time, I could sit here for three hours and not ask you anything that would duplicate it's anything else. It's got comedy. Just... It's got danger. Oh. It's got life-threatening drama. It, 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 really, it genuinely <laughs> does have a little bit of all of that. It is fantastic. And book. 80 pictures. That's, that's right. That's right. Thank you so much for coming. I'm glad to be here. The Judds reunited in 1999 for a New Year's Eve concert and actually toured a bit the following year. In the years since, Naomi Judd has made a number of appearances on various TV shows. She's 75 now. And you can find easy Amazon links to Naomi Judd's books at our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and while you're at our website, check out my 1993 interview with Reba McIntyre. No matter what kind of melody it has, if the words don't say anything... It doesn't connect with me. And good Lord, wouldn't that be terrible if it was a number one hit and you have to sing it forever and ever and you don't even like the song? <laughs> and my 1994 conversation with Glenn Campbell. Elvis was teasing me. He said, somebody sent me a record you did and you was trying to sound like me. I said, I wasn't trying to sound like Elvis. I said, I was sounding like you. You just don't hear it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, it's Father's Day weekend, so we'll have a conversation with a man whose father was a king, or at least he played one. My 1991 interview with Yul Brynner's son, Rock Brynner. When I grew up, I was assured by everyone I knew, from school to everywhere I went, that my father was the king. People wanted him to be the king. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.